You're listening to Power in Practice, practical talk for living in a structured lifestyle. Welcome to episode 14 of Power in Practice. It's been a while, but we're back. In an earlier episode of Power in Practice, we gave you a sneak peek at Mindfucks with Flag. In this episode, Flag takes a visit to Rapture NYC to talk Mindfucks in a slightly different way. Some of the information may sound familiar, but with a few different stories and definitely a few different takes, this episode will give you more ideas on how to perform Mindfucks to keep everyone happy. Please keep in mind this recording was done before we had H2, so the quality's not our best, but since it's intelligible, we figure you'd like to have the information anyway. First things to, first under the heading of things to know is know your subject. The more you know about them, the more effective you can be in leading them. Now you guys have a very interesting situation here. You both have more and less access information about your subject. Your subjects are not going to give you a lot of truthful information about themselves. But you have access to information that if you hit intellus.com, you can run a search and get everything about them they ever wanted you not to know. Intellus.com. I intel us. I used it to search for a lost friend. You type in a name, two L's as intelligence. And it will give you addresses. It could give you a credit history because that's really what it's for. Um, you can get a remarkable amount of information that they don't know you have. And what's most important, of course, is that they don't know you have it. But after you talk to them a couple times, you'll probably be able to get some of that. I don't know what your credit card uh, system is. But that information is somewhere. And given a little time and conversation in the chat rooms, you can just start, I would suggest, keeping a list. You know, just put a little pad next to, the, next to your computer, and as you're talking to someone who looks like they are going to come back and want to be fucked with, will respond favorably to being fucked with, take notes. Bob, Bob lives in Albany or up north, whatever it is, you can start gathering your information because you're going to have to do That's the disadvantage you guys have. You know, you're not in a relationship with someone where you can see their, their, their face, their body language clearly. You're not in a place where you can, you know, look at their driver's license. You're going to work on what information they give you. But odds are very, very good. They will be giving you more information than they are aware of. Most people do. Small talk. If you talk about where you are from, what are they going to talk about? It's just most people will always turn the conversation towards themselves. So let them. But knowing your subject is more than just facts. It's more than just you know, knowing their zip code. Uh, it may seem obvious. It's worth mentioning a few times you need to know your subject. Mindfully, is different things to different people. What works on one might leave another one yawning and a third never speaking to you again. But it's not just about psychological hot buttons. It's also about the mundane details you might not ordinarily think about. Is he curious? Is this just, that's just one question. Is this the kind of guy who asks you a lot of questions? Because if he asks you a lot of questions, is he trying to find out about you? 
or is he just one of those guys in the chat room who asks a lot of people a lot of questions? Because if he's the kind of guy who asks a lot of people in the chat room a lot of questions, a package he's not allowed to open is going to drive him batshit. Just there's information in context of what they do. Watch them interact with other people. Now, a lot of these, again, worked in terms of people who were living together or would see each other. A lot of this will work in terms of sessions. I've been trying to figure out ways to adapt it to online, and we can talk about that a little more in the question and answer and brainstorm on that a bit. For now, I'm just going to work mostly in these session, some face-to-face -face contact. Okay, so if you've got your curious guy, and there's a package that he's not allowed to open, he's holding it for you. You mail it to him. You tell him to hold it for you. He's not allowed to open it. Um, what if you refuse to discuss it from then on? What if you refuse to acknowledge it in front of other people? How much, how much time is he going to spend staring at that thing, wondering and thinking and obsessing when he should be working or driving or, you know, saving a life or whatever it is he does? Basically, the phrase I've used is submissive's tongue is, is good for three things. The third one is a shovel. Okay, they, they'll tell you in the end pretty much everything you need to know if you're listening for it. I, I swear they can't help it. So you've got some idea of how to surf your subject. And a lot of it's going to depend on your instincts. You know, if you've got good instincts for this kind of thing, it's going to come easy. If you don't, it's going to take work. Now, being aware under things to know. Discover all the positive and negative motivators about your subject that you can. Dig for them. Once you know them, apply them judiciously because nothing numbs like overkill. Positive motivators. Submissive will jump through hoops in most cases to get their fetishes fulfilled. For many, the very act makes it that much more exciting. But fetishes are not your only positive motivator. Approval. Attention. Even affection are powerful when applied to the right people in the right way. Use them sparingly as they all become more desirable in their scarcity and their currency devalues quickly. Um, one kind word will go a lot further than tense. Um, and I've been thinking about one of the interesting dynamics that, that Arden was talking about in the chat rooms. Um, they compete. They, they definitely compete for your attention. This is to your advantage because the ways they compete and what they compete for will tell you a lot about them because that's right there. Whatever it is that suddenly somebody is jumping into the fray to get, that is the bait that they will always jump to get. So if it's attention, if it's affection, if it's approval, if it's a kind word, if it's criticism, if it's a chance to see your feet, whatever it is, take note of it. These things are important because they are things you can use. Negative motivators. If you know what works, make sure its presence can be felt. A threat, direct or implied, may be enough. Fear of pain is often more useful than pain itself. Disapproval is an extremely powerful, possibly the most powerful weapon you've got in the online arsenal. Disapproval can be crushing for some and shrugged off by others. The other thing to be aware of are even more powerful negative images, phobias, for example. If your boy is terrified of cockroaches, that is absolutely fair game in many cases for an ideal mindfuck. 
bringing actual cockroaches into a scene might be clearly outside the structure's limits. Bring, bring, the, bring the cockroaches, it might be outside the structure's limits, it might be outside your limits, but the dread of the cockroaches, the fear of the cockroaches, that's all fair game. The, the fear there might be a cockroach in the room where they're lying blindfolded or what that scratching sound in the box is, that's all good. Things to know, finally, and the point of all this is knowing your goals. Be clear in your aims from the outset. This is stagecraft. You have to be three steps ahead. The goal is similar to writing, painting, or any other act of creation. You have to know what you want to create from the outset, then work towards that end. Um, try not to get involved in fetishistic details at first. It's not about the toys and the tools. It's about the state of mind you are setting in your subject. Work backwards. What do you want? Panic? Terror? Creeping dread? Paranoia? What state of mind do you want your subject to be in in the end? Once that is achieved, what are you going to do with them? A good mindfuck is not over until the curtain is drawn back and you get to take your bow after all. We'll get to that later. If you know your subject, you'll have some idea of what tools might work and what, go what goal mental state you're speaking. Work backwards, asking yourself, how can I cause such a reaction? How long do I want this to go on? How much time do I have? Do I have assistance? What assets do I have to make this happen? The chat room is an asset. The other, the other subs in the chat room are an asset. The other doms are definitely an asset. One of the things that you can do that happens all the time online and drives people crazy is the idea that there are things being discussed in private that they don't know about. It makes them nuts. You know, starts flame wars of every description of every type. And it's a perfect medium for that. You know, whether or not there really is, creating that illusion is incredibly easy. And if a couple of you get together and say, okay, let's drive sub X out of his mind, it's going to be very, very easy for you to conspire to create the misdirection, the illusion that something is going on that is being kept from him. If you know your subject, you'll have some idea of what tools. Write a list if you can. It'll be handy as you get ideas later on. Once you get a taste for this, you'll be doing it again. I just want to say again, remember that the goal is the state of mind invoked in the subject, not the sequence itself. Uh, if you fetishize the specific sequence in your head, uh, first I'll get some guys and we'll all put on gorilla suits. And then you're not working on your subject, you're just masturbating. Now, there's, there's great, you know, enjoy the gorilla suit, but that's not what you're going to get out of this. Um, in the mind practice, it's about the subject, not the sequence. Know what you want the subject to experience as opposed to what you want to do to them. Know what you want the subject to experience as opposed to what you want to do to them. Things to know. Know yourself. Never threaten anything you are not willing or capable of doing. Absolutely hard and fast rule. Your bluff gets called once. It's over. Your credibility is shot to hell forever. Now, this is more important in face-to-face but it's always important anyway. If you say, do that again and I'll never talk to you again, he does it again to be a dick, and you're talking to him tomorrow, he can walk all over you. So never, ever threaten anything you are not willing to do. There's nothing more disempowering than an empty threat. If your subject knows you, they'll know when you're bluffing. Even if they don't, they may well call your bluff. The answer is don't bluff ever. 
Sure, you can come up with suitably dismaying threats and dire promises, especially if you know what some of those negative reinforcement buttons are. As a rule, I advise against any form of outright lie in a monophilic scenario. It simply devolves to role-playing or worse. However, the pressure to find just the right thing to say can lead you to saying foolish things if you're not careful. Don't bluff. It might give them something to hang on to, and you, you wouldn't want that. Avoid lying, allow misconception. In the same vein, I'll always advise avoidance of the outright lie. It not only can it, does the outright lie destroy whatever trust or relationship you're trying to build, it is absolutely, the, when you get caught, it's the moment when the curtain gets yanked back by Toto and off the great and terrible is little old man in the corner sitting in the closet. It just, it's not worth the risk a lie when there's no necessity to do it. On the other hand, if you can lead them to a conclusion, and we're going to talk about how to do that, if you can let them jump to their own conclusions, that's their fault, isn't it? You didn't do anything. So if you need to convince your slave that uh, you're going to be away for the night in order to have maybe a stage deduction occur or something, and have no option but to lie, at least in the end it'll turn out you're there if you at least lay down safety. I mean, that, that's, that's part of my, my whole... I'm dealing with a live crowd that the word safety makes them sit up and, and get hard. So that's, that's part of my, my, my little safety lecture. I, I'm going to skip that. Really, what you want to do in a situation like that is promise you'll be somewhere, appear to have not showed up, but actually be there. Therefore, there's your illusion. There's the idea that they're alone with the mystery. You know, okay, let's say somebody adores you and is terrified of you, books a session with you, you walk in and say, that she's not here today, I'll be handling you. Okay. Now, right just about the time he's either getting ready to panic, piss himself, or faint, or leave, you can come back. Just thank you, and there's no need for explanation. Just let him deal with the adrenaline. But right there, there's a safety net, and the only reason for the safety net in this environment is the return client and the lack of lawsuit. So, all good. Also, really, in the end, it, once it turns out that you were there, they will by default assume that you were managing the whole situation. It, it infers if even further godlike power. Just for a second, their world was spinning out of control, all was chaos, and then in the end, you were running things. Oh, thunk. The appearance of dishonesty is an acceptable tool, provided you turn out to be dependable in the end really the, the lesson at hand. Never compromise your structure. This is, again, semi-applicable here. It depends on what, your, what kind of a rule set you've set up with the client. But whatever that rule set is, it is inviolate. Because if you cannot be depended on to enforce your own rules, you cannot be depended on for anything. And if you cannot be dependent on for anything, they will find someone else. I address it here as an honesty issue. That's not the point here. Uh, the point is, again, business. You know, your personal integrity is your own. How you feel about it is your own. But in, 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 what it all boils down to is if you can do all this without ever compromising your structure, you appear that much more 
unassailable in your power and in your authority. <laughs> okay. I think we're about to get to the meat of this now. I just found the words Madagascar hissing cockroach. <laughs> Earlier I mentioned the boy who's phobic of cockroaches. We can safely assume that they are among his limits somewhere. It is inappropriate, therefore, to actually unleash a Madagascar hissing roach into his cage or possibly even bring him into the room with him. However, if you spent a week leaving evidence that might suggest that you might have ordered some and then make some scratchery scampering across his chest with a feather while you make sounds of amused disgust while he's blindfolded, again, it's all on him. It's all his fault. You didn't do anything wrong. That, as an example of staying within your structure, not lying, yet appearing to cross boundaries and taboos. Okay, this is when you guys have an absolute advantage over most of the independents and the, uh, and the, 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 the at-home scene crowd. Conspire with those you trust. You guys have nothing better to do over lunch. Think about it and conspire on how to fuck up the head of whoever's giving you money next. If you want a mystery package to show up at the door, it's a little awkward to send it both from the home you both share. Why go to the sitcom like trouble when you can have a co-conspirator mail it? If you want your slaves with modesty issues to worry about a peeping Tom, you're only going to be able to go out and rattle the bushes by the window so many times before your boy puts it together. It'd be his first thought anyway. Have a friend do it the first night. That'll firmly establish an unknown third party, so when you start leaving scary but really hot letters, pasted together out of magazine letters and scraps of dirty magazines, the illusion is already in motion. Besides, if your friends are twisted enough to help you, they're twisted enough to have some good ideas you might not have thought of. Uh, don't just enlist dominance either. There are a few things most subs like more than watching other subs suffer. Take advantage of situations of leverage. Improvise, adapt, adopt, improve. Think fast. Your opportunities to sink the screws in a little deeper are coming all the time. If possible, don't pursue them. Let them come. Letting her think you set away for a dental drill on eBay is a lot more convincing if she brings up a related subject and you infer it, rather than a clumsy attempt to steer the conversation. Take your time, gather your information, and act when the opportunity arises. Now, I actually do break down how to create these structures and step-by-step step and how to do this, but I had to cover a couple of basic concepts first. Okay, creating your sequence. This is, this is where we get to the middle of it. Now, you guys may not have really thought about this, but one of the things I've been thinking about for your distant or online customers is the ability to create illusions in their lives. If you can get their mailing address, you can do a lot of things. There's a lot you can get off Intellis.com, home phone numbers, mailing address, that sort of thing. It might be best to find out or have some idea about whether or not they're married first. You just pay for membership, and then you can do as many searches as you want. Oh, no, no, everyone is. It's basically public domain registry stuff that one company has consolidated for use in credit checks and private detective agencies. Everyone believes evidence, especially evidence of their own eyes. To create an illusion is to provide that evidence. Now, this, again, is not always applicable for the online, but we might be able to brainstorm some ways to make it happen. In the meantime, this is valuable for sessions. Um, let's say you've threatened your slave without, with uh, moving your, her out to an all-weather dog kennel in the backyard, and she's terrified. You don't have to mention it again. Why would you? 
you can simply order supply catalogs from pet stores and leave them around. What conclusion is going to get drawn? There's absolutely no reason for you to mention it more than once. Leaving them, you know, bookmark the kennels if they're sick. Uh, one over one or two, you know, two weeks to do, and then leave one with a circled cage and the order form ripped out. When she asks about it, simply reclaim the catalogs and blindly deny that you ordered anything. You're not lying. You haven't. The idea of an illusion is to allow your subject to jump to the conclusions you led him to. People are more convinced by what they decide than by what they're told. A few small pieces of leading evidence carelessly left about or clumsily concealed are worth hours of threat to innuendo. People are all talk. Evidence suggests actions. What's worse is that this suggests action that's already underway. Now, props. The foundation of the illusion is the prop, the leading evidence that brings the subject to the desired conclusion. Unexplained packages or visits, mail-order catalogs, letters written in a strange hand or from unknown email addresses. A fake website is easy as hell. These things are easily created or obtained and are powerfully convincing. It seems to me the most convincing way to use such evidence is let it be discovered rather than presented directly. Perhaps a third-party co-conspirator. So, you've got a, a boy who's got a fantasy of, you know, he lives in Omaha. He's never going to leave his wife and eight kids. But he's up every night talking to you, wishing you would kidnap him. It's really easy in the chat room for one of the other dominants to maybe suggest that, are you the one that she was looking at that website for? What? Never mind. Then you get someone else to say in the in the room, oh, I, you know, you, you get other people. Use the fact that you have other people. Because the more other people are involved, the more convincing the illusion becomes, the more the more thorough the paranoia will become. It'll become very easy to direct his attention to a mocked up website which says that sure, for a brief amount we'll go into Omaha and kidnap anybody you want. Or, you know, we'll kidnap anyone in the United States and we happen to be based in Omaha. You know, what you do, you could just use a couple of his little personal details to make it that much more chilling. That's not about him. It just could be about him. And God knows he wants it to be about him. And then you deny it. Oh, my God, mistress, are you going to send someone for me? Who said that? I never said that. Did I ever say that? Drive him crazy masturbating himself raw for weeks over the bottom. <laughs> so what's the example I heard? The, the most convincing, uh, yeah, a third-party co-conspirator. So, Sue, did your sir get it yet? Get what? Oh, well, my sir was talking to your sir. He said your sir was going to make some sort of big purchase, like an all-weather dog kennel? What? Show them the catalog. I have it right here. Oh, my God. <laughs> And when it comes from someone other than you, the thought is not, you know, Goddess A is trying to screw with me because the information's coming from Goddess B or, 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 or Slave X. It's coming from somewhere else. And that is the simplest sleight of hand necessary to make something convincing because people feel like they found out something they weren't supposed to find out. And that gives it all the validity in the world. 
you tell them, they may or may not believe you. They discover something, they believe it. Uh, denial and creation of information and sensory input. <laughs> Plausible deniability. Nothing will convince someone faster than the sense that something is being kept from him or her. Something vital. Say what you want to convince them that you did receive an all-weather dog kennel and, and that she's going to be sleeping there from now on. But that's the goal, that you want to make your boy think that he's going to be sleeping outside or she will. You left catalogs. She found them. She's worried. She asks, what do you do? You tell the truth. No, I did not buy a kennel. Hopefully with a particularly straight face. Do you promise? Why should I have to? I just told you I didn't. That's enough for you. You're not talking about this again. Denial of information. It's well within your rights to simply not say anything. Your goals are achieved. You've led her to a conclusion. You've told her the absolute truth, and you're well within your structural guidelines. Later on, after she found the empty cardboard box, which you engineered labor for on your PC and had a friend send you out back, Cuff her in a corner, blindfold her while you hammer something together in the backyard, but she doesn't know is what she's going to be most afraid of. Now, I was thinking about, again, rapture applicability. No backyard. But you get somebody who's got fantasies about the rack. You know, I know a lot of guys have, have medieval fetish. Okay, you're giggling. At least nailed one. But uh, so a guy has fantasies about being broken on the rack. Well, there isn't one here, right? But what if you've dropped a couple of hints, you've let a couple of suggestions up, and then while he's waiting for his session, he's hearing something getting built next door. What if you send in one of the other mistresses who tells him to stand up and then measures how tall he is and then walks back into the other room? He'll do the rest. You'll never have to say a goddamn thing. And then when he goes, mistress, God, this ex just came in and measured. We're not talking about that. That's none of your business. Deny facts, create innuendos. You're having a surprise party for your slave, but you want to convince her that she's being delivered into the hands of brutal, uncaring professionals for retraining. A faked website is good. A phone conversation that uh, he can eavesdrop in is better. Talk to a few friends about the idea. You could stand right outside that door and have a conversation with each other about something to let some poor schmuck listen. I mean, you've got a really good system here because you've got so many third-party accomplices. Talk to a few friends about the idea. Take notes on possible, quote, locations. If you build a website, give us that one and a list of similar sites to research for you. Refuse to discuss it. You have not made up your mind. You are waiting to see if she improves. When you finally load her terrified carcass into the car, make her pack a suitcase with very few regimented things. Blindfold her and off you go if you drive around for two hours while your friends are in the party back home. Better yet, blindfold her, toss her shackled ass into a strange car, and have a friend who will not speak with her driver around. You guys, one of the, the really big problems this has in the public scene is most dominants won't work together. It's like herding cats. They're a batch of proud, arrogant idiots. You know, there's no, there's very little team playing. Um, the estate started because Sir C and Ken and I found that team playing was fun. We had a lot to learn from each other. We respected each other. We respected each other's point of view, and we had each other's back.
And there was a great deal of conspiratorial... With shared authority comes conspiracy. Ken right there. He, I'm going to refer to him a lot. That's him right there. Uh, the other person is Circe. She's in Baltimore? Philadelphia? Some city that's terrified at every tread of her foot. It's... Uh, She's out there somewhere. Wherever it is, you'll know. Ask the National Weather Service where the weather is 10 degrees lower than it should be, and that's where she is. God, I love that woman. All right. Creating your sequences, creating suggestion. Applying context is the heart of suggestion. While illusion is primarily visual or material, use of props, suggestion is primarily verbal or written. The offhanded comment, the dire threat, or the innocent expression of interest are all good examples. How these things are used as a matter of craft, combining elements of repetition and insinuation. Repetition. Say it once, it won't stick. Say it too many times, and you're obviously up to something. It's a delicate balance. You should know your people, but in general, I find that three times over a week is just enough to get people's alarm bells to go off, but not enough to be obvious. You want to plant a suspicion, a doubt, you want to inspire dread. If you want to actually do the research, pick a more innocent topic and see how many repetitions it takes until they look with you and go, what is it with you and sunflowers, mistress? And then you actually have a measurable idea of how fast they pick up on this sort of thing. When you're starting the mindfuck, aim for one of two less repetitions. Remember, less is more. And topics they're afraid of, fascinated with, and excited will stick faster than the sunflowers. Insinuation. There's a screenwriting phrase. The scene is never about what the scene is about. Whenever possible, do not address the suggestion directly to your subject. Talk about a, a scene in a movie. If you've got a boy who is fascinated and terrified uh, and obsessed with the idea of being hammered with a strap-on, Talk about, uh, I don't know, deliverance. Okay. Because what is the first thing everyone thinks of when you talk about that movie? You know, it, it, it's a sideways insinuation to an idea without going, so, about anal sex. <laughs> you can't really talk about deliverance without talking about squeal like a pig. But you are talking about a movie, not anal rape, really, honestly. And for sure. Bring your suggestion up as tangential to the actual focus of the dialogue. Ideally, you want to be able to look back and say, I mentioned X in your conversation about Y. It's all inferred. It's all tangential. I've used that, uh, one of my girls, and rightfully so, uh, was terrified of spending any time under Ken. So we were talking about uh, doing chores and dishes. And I just said, uh, well, hell, when you spend a week at Ken's, you're not going to. And the alarm, <laughs> that's all you need. <laughs> just the alarm bells went off. But just, what, 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 did, what did you, we're not talking about this. When you combine this with an awareness of your opportunities, you'll end up with a situation where something gets mentioned four or five times over a span of a conversation, an afternoon or a week, yet it's utterly blameless. Plausible deniability. This amounts to an application of the power of suggestion. If you engage someone in a conversation about Chinese food and use the phrase Chinese food over and over, constantly mentioning Chinese food and how much you like Chinese food, and then ask, what do you want to eat? What's your first thought? There you go. It's, it's, it's that is what you're doing. You don't have to mean it. You don't have to want it. But what's the very first thing that crossed your mind? 
All you have to do is make them think it. Once you've done that, you're well on your way. Our example this time, a goddess is going to give her boy to a dominant leather man of her acquaintance or so she wants him to think. In truth, it's just going to be her with a strap on again, but she wants to fuck his mind along with the rest of him, so for a week or so beforehand, she begins dropping comments. The offhanded comment. Talking about things that turn them on so the conversation turns to sounds a lover makes. You sound great when I fuck you. I just wish I could see you better. I want to watch you get fucked someday. Our boy's enthusiastic. He assumes she means by another dominant woman. Let him think so for now. Conversations can now turn to fights that turn them on. The seed is planted, and the conversation goes on about other things. Dire threats. Maybe you'd think a little clearer if you appreciate how good I am to you. I know a leather man who'd be happy to teach you a lesson right up your ass, boy. Now, especially in this context, this is not going to inspire the enthusiasm of the first comment, but the seed has been planted and reinforced. If he tries to react to that, bring his attention back to the subject, the reason you're threatening him in the first place. Obviously, he wasn't paying attention. That's the fucking problem. And he should get his mind off big, burly men fucking him up the ass. Stop thinking about the elephant. Right now. Innocent expression of interest. Insinuation. I think Thomas Finland art is really hot. I've always wanted to watch men fuck each other. This is why you keep talking about that. I'm talking about Thomas Finland art. Can I not be held of a conversation about art with you? From here on, you go on to art, gay porn, other related subjects. Individually, each of these may have some theft, but what if you strung them together over the course of a week? You get back to this example a little later to suggest how you tie all your work together. Now, in this session-based environment, you've got an advantage. One hint per session. You know, there it, you can taste yourself. You can see how thick or how quick they pick up on things. You're actually in a situation where you don't have to worry about the timing of being together too much or forgetting to do it because you have an appointment and you have your little list of what kind of things you want to cover of the course of the appointment. Now, inspiring dread. Almost universally, mind plays about creating fear, dread, and tension in your subject. Not by definition. I mean, you could use all these techniques to make your subject think you're having eggs for breakfast and then surprise, we're having cereal, but that's not nearly enough fun for all the work. Uh, I mean, tell me if it's any fun. Me, I'm all for deep writing, so that's what we're going to talk about. Fear and dread enhance the sensation of being controlled, of one's face not being in one's own hand, which is what the missives are there for, after all. Like a roller coaster, fear is the purest experience of loss of control, the mainline rush for the sensation junkie. Fear, however, is fleeting. People really can't maintain states of terror very long. Most people shut down or enter alternate states of consciousness, so you save that for last. What you're most often looking for is dread, evil twin of anticipation. Dread can exist in varying levels throughout the experience and be maintained almost indefinitely some degree. Where fear is the immediate reaction to perceived threat, dread is stomach-aching, lingering trepidation, especially of the unknown. When mixed with the fetish context, it makes for a memorable waiting period as the inexorable drama of the mind play unfolds. In order to create dread, deny information. The most useful way to create dread is to deny information. Strange sounds, closed doors, secrecy, all tools to create fear of the unknown. As a rule, an unknown is always scarier than what is known, no matter how terrible that knowledge. Pain can be endured, humiliations brave, challenges overcome, but there's no getting around a mystery, especially a terrible, terrible one. Innuendo, never commit to anything, admit nothing, and don't give a scrap away more than you have to. However, you have to find ways to reference the idea that you're trying to inspire dread of. Reading a book or watching a movie, conspicuously, 
that features a scene known to have the element in question will often bring the idea to mind in your subject. You're, again, in a unique position. They tend to pay attention to you. They tend to want your approval. They tend to want to know you're an enigma. You're a mystery. If you come in carrying a book about something, they're going to look at the title. So, cockroach example. Get a book on entomology. You don't ever have to read it. You don't ever have to look at the pictures. All you ever have to be doing is seeing carrying. They'll make all the rest of the assumptions. Refer to these things uh, obliquely, insinuate, give the impression it's on your mind, but nearly, never clearly own up to it. Never commit to your illusion until it's too late for them to stop or avoid what they fear is going to happen. All right, and this is the putting it all together section. Do any of the, did all the concepts make sense? Is everything? Okay. In all the examples I've provided so far, there's been some element of dread and the denial of information, insinuation of the source of fear and the illusion of the fear. So we're going to look at them. And what we're going to do is I'm going to revisit the examples. And we're also going to think about other ways to get this to happen, especially in the environments that you guys are using. Because this was, again, written for live-at-home couples and scene players. Um, and again, just because you hate it, I'm going to do the cockroach example first. Uh, boy, terrified of cockroach. <laughs> well, the thing is, it gets a reaction from everybody. It's just yours is the most visible. Okay. Boy, terrified of cockroaches. The first step is denial. He never sees any roaches. Well, that's because there aren't any. Um, he's never told you did obtain roaches for certain, because you didn't. He can't see what makes the noise or a scampering across his skin. So, can anybody give me an example of an insinuation? How would you insinuate this into somebody's head? Yeah, how would you casually just, and I, you don't have to stage the entire conversation, but one line that you could drop. That's, that's exactly what I have here. Do you know you can buy cockroaches online? Did you have another one or? Pretty much the same, or? Brilliant, you know, and whether you're bringing it out as a fact of biology or whatever else the amusing conversation is, or just, you know, it's, uh, I can't, you, all you want to do is bring it up. You know, God, I can't stand living there. There's so many of the little filthy fuckers. <laughs> yeah, there's more of them than there are of us, or there's more roaches in New York City than there are cells in your body, or whatever thing you want to say. Oh, yeah. Some kind of Wednesday Adams creepiness. That'll check their asses. That's great. Cockroach porn? <laughs> See? We, it, <laughs> Oh, that's great. Just, did you? Never mind. Yeah. Oh, that's So look at this. There's just so many ways with a little bit of thought that you can just drop this idea into whatever context you have, whether it's online, whether it's over the phone, or in person, any time that you can be talking about something else. Okay, so that's your insinuation. Then if you're dealing with someone face-to-face, -face, there's the illusion. 
Uh, the ones I have here are an empty package, a stiff feather across the skin, a hissing sound from a small stray can of compressed air. Um, yeah, someone could scratch on the door. An uh, obscure package in the freezer, if you're using Colin's suggestion. This, the illusion right there, fault tracking, tracking with the eyes. You just, never mind. Or, you know, something goes by and then you step out of the room and you use the fact that you have a co-conspirator to say, go get me a can of you know, something, you got bugs. And then you come back in and talk to them. Because you weren't talking to them, they just happened to overhear it. All right, but let's move on from cockroaches. Um, modest slave and peeping Tom. So you've got someone who won't admit or has only admitted to you their fantasies about being spied on. Probably by you, but whatever their, their fantasy is. So denial, slave never sees who's out there for certain. It's you or an accomplice. The letters have no postage or identifying marks. Um, especially easy to do if you can find out where they work or have, you know, if they live locally and you've got another slave who you can have drop something in their mailbox. You know, preferably while you're on the phone with them. You know, in some way that they knew it could not have been you. Insinuation. You mention a stranger standing by the front walk a few days running or telephone hang-ups while the slave is not at home. This is for couples that live together. Um, illusion. You arrange for a friend to be visible briefly outside the window. Leave cryptic messages in the mailbox and arrange phone hang-ups when he's, when you're both. Now, for you, this would be, um, you'd be chatting with him and you get someone else to call his house. There's, this isn't the strongest example for your situation, which is why I'm blowing through it. Uh, slave girl dog kennel. Denial. She's told there is no kennel. She's given no further info, and the issue is conspicuously never discussed. What you were building the kennel in the backyard, she's blindfolded. Insinuation. You threaten it once and drop statements about the idea into other conversations, feeding her consciousness of the idea. Illusion, a curious box, pet catalogs, finding the sound of construction in the backyard while she's helpless to observe or interfere. Uh, she's going to surprise party. She's told you're considering sending her away. You never give her a definite answer. When she's packed into a car without discussion and notice, she's blindfolded and wondering which one of the institutes of training she's been researching she'd be sent to. The driver will not answer any questions. This one you can probably pull off. You know, I'm sure a lot of these guys would get all kinds of crazy about the idea of being swept away from their mundane humdrum lives to be dragged away, quote, against their will, unquote, to serve you. And that you, with your godlike power and impervious to the forces of justice, law, and order, can do this without consequence because you are, after all, goddess whoever. So, a website, a couple of websites, you know, because they don't have to be very deep, very involved. Hell, the ones that are out there tend to look like crap anyway. And they do exist. You can get them to do the research on, uh, they can look at the estate site. They can look at La Domaine SMR. They can look at all kinds of places. And then you can make one up for them to find. Preferably, they'll find it. You don't direct them to it. If you can't get it high enough on the search engine then it pops up, have them start consulting with other subs in the chat room and somebody else have one of their boys go, look here, so it doesn't come from you. And there's that one place that's close to where they are. 
may even have a photo of a recognizable landmark visible in, in the distance. And what other kinds of uh, insinuation or illusion would you want to pull off for this to get them panicking or masturbating or whatever over the idea that, that you were going to send people to come and collect them? Come on, everyone was on the roaches. Yes. Do you live alone? <laughs> right. See, all again, misdirection. I'm not actually saying I'm going to come get you. I'm talking about other things. It's plausible deniability. We're talking about the learning channel. What is your fucking problem? And, you know, if, if this person's thick, send them to do the research on it. Because it's something that you may well be, you're thinking of doing to them. And they are your slaves, so they can sit on their lunch hour at work and surf the internet and look for sites and report back to you. Because that one, you're still not saying you're going to do it, but that's what they'll be thinking about. And it's just an exertion of authority that's completely within your boundaries. And then finally, a full website specializing in all the things they're most afraid of, a nightmare of a training facility, and then if you're, you know, if they're local, a mysterious driver in a strange car, a long ride to nowhere in particular. They're to be fucked by Leatherman. This one's probably a little closer to home. Um, denial. It is never discussed or brought up for negotiation of any sort, blindfolding at the moment of truth. Insinuation. We covered a couple of them. Anyone have any, any other insinuation ideas? References to gay porn, leather men you know, erotic art of the right type, deliverance. We covered this a lot, but anything else come to mind? You know, you could uh, either make him go or take him toy shopping and spend an overlong time lingering by the butt plugs and dildos and the strap-ons. And then go get something else. If you're online, you can do the time just looking at this. Ah, there you go. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Just take him right down there where all those other men can stare at him, especially if you know one or two of them and he'll be friendly because he'll be walking away going, is he the one? Oh, my God. <laughs> He's gigantic. <laughs> okay. Once you have it, what's the payoff? Putting it all together, the final act, give the people what they want. Good mindfuck into the spike point. A moment of decision or conflict that brings all the factors to a peak. Essentially, it's a final act. It's the heart of the mindfuck, the payoff, and it allows closure, a release of the dread and tension which you've been carefully cultivating for hours, days, weeks, or months. 
some ways, this is the easiest part. It's the moment you probably first envisioned. I'll run a few examples by you. We'll address why and what you might expect to happen. The end of the mind play allows for an explosion of fear and other mental state, but also allows a catharsis, the moment where the, after the world has been turned upside down, it writes itself. This is the moment that reaffirms trust, commitment, and structure. However, it does not always come immediately. It can be periods of shock and uncertainty as they try and realign a reality which has been drastically intentionally altered, and they may need multiple reinsurances that this is not yet another trick. Um, I did an interrogation workshop at TESS. Uh, we used the basement of the Bond Street place. Now, this is not a formidable-looking place. It was the basement of a second-rate theater. It was filled with, you know, cheap art and lithographs and folding chairs. But uh, I cracked my girl Tink, and she needed about an hour afterwards to be convinced that what we were doing now was not another trick to crack her. She didn't, the way I brought her back to a more normal state of being was by one by one giving her back all the things I'd taken away. Um, they had been taken, their clothing taken away, they were wearing shirts with numbers, they had none of their ID, they had, so one at a time I gave these things back and each step restored her equilibrium. Now that's a rather drastic example of what you're going to be encountering once you rock somebody's world up with your imaginary cockroaches or whatever it is, they're going to need some time, usually not too long, but they're going to need a little time to get their balance. And it's useful if you're going to help them do that. Um, because if you don't, they'll never get back to trusting you again. And if they don't trust you again, you can't fuck them again. And that's no good for anybody. Short periods of shock and uncertainty, give them to them, allowing them to get their bearings so they can appreciate your work from a place of security and stability. Guide them to the goal state by what you say and how you make them feel. Just a note, if it seems like it's going wrong, if their panic has the wrong taste or seems violent or beyond what you want from the experience, don't be proud. Call it off, let them in on it, calm them down and find out what went wrong. That way you'll know what to do next time to get what you want. So, back to our examples. Boy, terrified of cockroaches, simple enough, after you've enough. Just remove the blindfold. Show them the feather in the spray can. They'll get it. Modestly peeping Tom. Arrange your ring with the doorbell while he's tied and blindfolded, and then wait a few minutes. When you come back, wear heavier shoes, alter your tread, and wear gloves. Whisper that he's just like you pictured him. Even better, get an accomplice to do it. If you don't smoke, light a cigarette. Rather than continue the scene as usual, explore his body like it's new to you, increasing in roughness till you get him right where you want him, then in the end, let him see as if you or at least someone he's comfortable, familiar with, whatever. Or at least that you were in the room and in charge all along, all depending on what level of accomplice you want to bring in on that. Slow girl dog kennel. Once she thinks the kennel is built in the backyard, lead her up blindfolded. Make her recommit to your authority, reaffirming in her own words that you have the right to do this if you want. Make her admit it, even ask for it. Inexpensive, large pet carriers, dog houses are available at pet stores. Crawl her into it, lock her down, and give it a few minutes, especially if she thinks you've walked away. And you think she's had enough, give her back her sight, bring her back inside so she can reclaim her place in your space that you've allowed her, most likely with an all-new appreciation of your generosity. What these examples have is the spike point, is taking the dread and finally transforming it into fear. And once you've taken it to fear, Fear has to be managed. Fear has to be controlled because fear creates unpredictable and possibly violent results. So this is the hands-on moment 
where you have to be not casually tossing things off, but you yank the curtain back, the monster jumps out, you pull the rubber mask off, the Scooby-Doo kids say it was old man Carruthers all along, everybody goes home happy, but just right there at that moment, before the mask comes off, make sure they don't punch you. You have to be able to manage the fear you create. So you go to a surprise party. One ends pretty classically with the guest yelling surprise and your subject blinking and staring. Positive effect of a lot of people there with smiles will put them back on their feet pretty quickly. Where to be fucked by Leatherman. When you're alone, take the blindfold hood off so you can see who's violating it. Again, it's pretty classic. Of course, you could keep him in suspense a while, then walk into the room wearing the boots, gloves, strap on, and smoking the cigar. It's entirely your call. Pushing the envelope. If you are really confident about where you are and where you're heading and what you want to happen, if you are there but not quite over and want to debate pushing the envelope, get the boy to admit that he braved the cockroaches for you. Get sexual in the scene of the slave who thinks that you're a stalker. Keep the slave girl in the dog kennel overnight. Subject the birthday girl to a degrading inspection of the hands of unknown strangers before you take the blindfold off and be out surprised. Try to make the boy come and admit excitement while being fucked by the mystery leather man. I will not sanction going the extra mile is mandatory. You can tell I'm doing this for a public crowd or even desired. I will not commit on paper to saying it's a good idea. I will, however, say that under the right circumstances with the right people, it's everything it's supposed to be. Be careful. Don't be stupid. If you're going to do something, do it right. Sometimes you have to say, go big or go home. One final note. Every so often, carry through on your threats. Make it real. Make it happen. Every outlandish thing you do gives credibility to a dozen mindfucks. If you think your threat is simply beyond you, they'll learn very quickly not to believe it, and I suspect they'll be a little more disappointed in the end. But if they think you are capable of anything, they will believe anything. Now, I have one example here broken down in step-by-step, which is one I did, which, uh, which is called the cattle prod example. It's, uh, I'm actually going to tear this last page off and give it to Colin to copy so that you guys will have a copy of one mindfuck from beginning to end listed out in order. We're going to try and, yeah, I, I did this one to incorporate every principle we talked about. Okay, first I wanted an illusion. Now, the end result I want to create is fear of a cattle prod. So, give me an illusion to start this. Catalog. Simple as a catalog. Um, if they're particularly thick, if, you know, you can mark a page, or if they are online, you can send them to do the research at various websites for you. But there's your illusion. Then suggestion and insinuation. Right. Now, if we're going to do this as an insinuation, what would we actually be talking about? We'd be talking about eBay. We'd be talking about comparison shopping. We'd be talking about how much cheaper things are on eBay than in the stores. You know, for example, I, you know, I want to mail order a cattle prod. It was 50 bucks, but I sold one on eBay for 30. eBay is an incredible deal. Because it's never, the scene is never about what the scene's about. You're dropping a hint, not telling it. You're letting them think they're picking it up on their own. Next thing to do, remove the catalog. Take away the evidence. Forbid them from doing any further web research. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Denial of evidence. Denial of information. Uh, determine whether or not the prod is within the structure. This was an interesting one. 
you know, if you've got someone who, you know, for his hour with you will say that he'll do anything, anything, what about this? What about that? What if I had a cattle prod? Would you take that for me? And in the heat of the moment, I'm sure he'll say yes, but with the other insinuations that you've been dropping, that one example might stick a little more firmly. A wrapper or an unmarked box. He's here. Somebody else knocks and goes, Mr. Sex, there's a package for you. You were expecting something from Texas? I was. I've got a sign for this. Walk out. Come back. You're done. He doesn't even have to see the box because you have accomplices who can attest to the idea that there is one. If it doesn't come from you, it's real. Props, denial of information leading to a conclusion. Create a deciding moment, a moment of conflict. Sensory deprivation is very useful in this case. Okay, you've been dropping hints about the, the uh, cattle prod for a week now. He's eaten them up. Somebody, uh, one of your co-conspirators comes. Colin says, you got your package. You're expecting something from Texas. You go out, you sign for it, come back with a box, put the box down. Then you blindfold him. And then you do what? Do you remember when you said you'd do anything for me? Do you remember what we talked about? Tell me if you remember. Tell me what you remember. Eventually, he'll bring it up. And then he can hear you unwrap the box. You can't see. Now, this is still not quite enough. What you want is a spike point. What you want is a moment of cathartic definition. The one I used after building someone into a, a completely shaking frenzy about this in pretty much exactly the situations, open the box, fiddled with something, pressed the button and there was a buzzing sound. We had our little conversation about, you said you'd do anything for me. We got them to reaffirm what, uh, what Colin would describe as a, a pattern of affirmation where the answers are yes, 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 I did. Yes, I will. And then let it sit for a moment while it's quiet and let him let her sweat. And then I said, stick out your tongue. <laughs> and that was the spike moment. And she trembled. She opened her mouth. And I put my thumb in her mouth. And after she pretty much shit herself, um, she was so grateful for just what it was, you know, it did complete cathartic breakdown. It was the last twist I needed for it to be big enough to be over and for her to get the euphoria, the experience of the mind fuck. And then afterwards, because I'm a bastard and because I absolutely believe that you do not do anything, you don't promise to do anything you're not capable of doing, I showed her that I did actually order a cattle prod and had one in the room. So that there was something for her to worry about later. <laughs> but that's how you build them. That's how you keep them within whatever your structure is. And that's how you pay them off. It's stagecraft. That's all it ever is. Take that page and make sure they have a copy of it. So if there's any part of this you guys want to discuss or ask questions about or bash ideas around for, <laughs> well, it all depends. Do you have a gun? Well, in that case, you don't need to do any of this, but... Uh, <laughs> no, but... Um, yeah, I'm definitely. I'm having fun with someone about it, and uh, you can always do the mindfuck thing. Um, put the gun in your mouth. I don't want to 
go back and forth mm-hmm. and uh, that's okay and you know the safety right now right. So. Yeah, safety versus is a good one. I like that a lot. Because uh it, it's not the feeling that anything's entirely out of your control. It's not like I forgot to load it or not. But I like the idea that you might not want to twitch to save people a little loose on it. That's good. Uh, oddly enough, one of the things I, I, I use, I do a lot of hypno fetish. I'm a big hypno fetish fan. And uh, I ended up playing with two different people who had gun fixations. I don't own a gun. Um, but if you've got hypnosis, you don't need to own one. You've got one. So, um, there's a, a girl I used to make go down on my hand in public, which she thought was a pistol at the time. And she was always worried I was going to get arrested for waving it around in public. Um, but the other one was even more interesting because her I could kill. She had um, execution fantasies. And with hypnosis, it was easy enough to put the gun in her mouth. And then when she thought, saw my thumb come down, she passed out. But uh, actually, no, that was just her reaction to being shot in the head. <laughs> but uh, yeah, gunplay is a great example because a lot of people don't want to go, and it's not advisable to go where gunplay can lead you. I mean, there's nothing like the expression on their face when they hear the slide cock back and all that, but um, unless you're really comfortable with a gun and very confident about using it, I'm never going to endorse it. He wants to shoot me in the chest if I wear a bulletproof vest, and I won't let him, and I know he knows guns, but he's a sick fuck. Um, he'd miss on purpose. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, you can use gunplay. Gunplay is a perfect example of the kind of innuendo you can build, because you don't even have to own a gun. All they ever have to do is think you've got one. Then you get something metal that clicks and then push it against their head. Blindfold's your friend, man. Everybody depends on their sight. Just, to, just to something that, you know, every time I hear this, I hear this. Like, so if you're never going to make a threat that you're not going to carry through, mm-hmm. and you, but you want to build a sphere, that you won't, you won't carry, carry through. through. Um, so there's a box in the corner, mm-hmm. and, you know, the market thinks there's a cockroach in it. You aren't really in a position if you don't want to be lying to threaten. Even if, even if you know he thinks there's a pocket, the threat is do you want me to open the box? Well, no. Actually, do you want me to get the rope? My point is, my point is that the threat is to threaten directly. I will never directly threaten you with anything I'm not willing to do. I will let you jump to all kinds of outrageous conclusions. So, for example, if you and I were in even a weirder relationship than we are now, um, there'd be a rule about no cockroach. Therefore, I would not be able to enter a cockroach into the situation in reality. But I have no problem with making you think there is. No, it's just being, being the guy I am, I, I, I enjoy direct threats. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm constructing a direct threat without a lot. So right. Do you want me to open that box? Do you want me to get the box? I didn't right. say it, but that's right. I can do. Right. I call my boss. I didn't threaten anything. Then you have a roach. Don't even use it. Yeah, whatever. Okay. 
Yeah, so absolutely. If you need to go direct, if you need to go direct just be careful of what you say. Choose your words carefully. And that's always, you know, good advice anyway. So any other questions, observations, protests? I, I came in a little late, but I'm not sure if you can move a little bit. But um, One of the first things I hit probably before you got here is knowing your subject. The idea is you're creating, the end goal is to create a specific state of mind in your subject that you have already chosen. We're not kind of experimenting to see what will freak them out. You want a specific reaction, and that reaction is based on the client. And in truth, because it's a commercial venture, to some degree what the client wants what kind of thing the client is looking or has you feel that the client wants to experience from the clues you've inferred from dealing with this person before. So I wouldn't recommend any of this on a walking off the street. This is all repeat client stuff. Or somebody who's real clear about, I want to be scared to death, make me think you're going to kill me. You know, if they, they come straight out with that, well, then, you know, great. Rev up the chainsaw and go to town. But... So the idea there, for example, is you've got someone who, if he adores you, but is terrified of her, and books a session with you, and you have this information, and you know that being scared creates a positive state in him in the end. You know, it, a positive state in terms for your benefit. He leaves exhilarated, his heart pounding, he's been fucked with, it reinforces your control. Whatever you feel a positive state is, he doesn't have to be happy per se. Um, then, in order to create that fear, you don't turn up at the, uh, at the appointed time. She does, or he does, and they say, you know, I'll be handling you for the evening because X can't make it. And hopefully that's going to happen after they're already secured to something so they can't walk out on the session and they already feel vulnerable. And then you can walk in at any time without explanation take back over because you don't know, you don't owe any explanations. And the gratitude, you know, they'll be incredibly glad to see you and your heels or whatever it is about, you know, about you that they want. It's a kind of, it's a more of a mental version of teasing denial in that case. Anything else? Any other ideas? Any ideas on how to make this play online? Because I've been thinking about this a lot because you've got... I, I find, like, I have to take a verbal, but sometimes online, it's just, like, it's so easy. So easy to play off of the time. It's just, like, so... We're going to start off the conversation, and I can ask some random person, and that's another thing. Like, when you're online, they can't tell your tone. And that drives them crazy. You're just very short with that. You're like, oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? And I have to be like, oh, really? You know? And then see where they go with it. And then you're like, oh, you're starting to get worked up. Okay, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take it here now. And you can totally play off the bear Well, one of the, one of the things about online that works in your favor is Online creates a suspension of disbelief involuntarily. People have to engage the imaginative centers of their brain to have the conversation because while they are looking at the words, 
they are envisioning response. They are envisioning participation. They're engaging all kinds of different parts of their brain that they don't have to, in their creative centers, that they don't have to engage while we're sitting here face to face. They're essentially compensating for the, that very lack. And with that compensation, you can steer that compensation and they will buy into it. And I know this is how you brought it to the and I always think about this because even in my vanilla life, if you people wear something to me, like I've had a male for me for the past next 20 years, and I don't. And no matter what you tell them, you can tell them to the blue in the face. They're still going to believe what they want to believe anyway. So when they get on that kick and they're like, you know, you don't have to, I just feel like, okay, say what you want to think. And just brush it off and just shrug it off. And then those little innuendos, they're going to drive themselves. Dry, exactly. The whole point of this is they drive themselves batshit. You get them to work themselves up into a frenzy, whether you're doing it in person or online. And there's nothing like a blank face denial. Because everybody emotes something when they are talking. If you suddenly stop emoting, no, yes, I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I think. No expression on the whole, never, never, I mean, you did this forever, so like, can you try to get a relationship? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> no. So, yeah, flat denial, denial is your friend, deny facts, innuendo. We've pretty much covered all the tools. Do the tools make sense to everybody? No questions about that? Okay, well, um, Colin will uh, will give you guys an email address if anybody has any questions or questions come up later. I'm more than happy to, to pop off an answer. And uh, I'll be doing other seminars on other things. I just, I've got a, a <laughs> I've got a new um, humiliation of justification uh, and degradation seminar that I want to run by you guys because you guys have a lot more hands-on experience with various different types of fetishists and humiliation people, so. <laughs> and um, Colin can tell you other uh, other topics I work on in case you guys want to see them. Um, I know you mentioned the interrogation thing, doing that again at some point. But whatever. Okay, that's that's it for the Mindfox class. I hope it's helpful. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Power in Practice. Join us for more episodes at www.powerinpracti.com.